So I'm going to read. We're actually going to be studying verses 13 through 20, but I want to read 11 and 12 as well. So let's start with verse 11. Chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through patience and endurance through faith and patience inherit the promises for when god made a promise to abraham since he could swear by no one greater he swore by himself saying surely i will bless you and multiply you and thus abraham having patiently waited obtained the promise for people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his counsel, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. For ha we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as our forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. So let's pray. Father, again, it's, uh, it's an absolute honor. It's an absolute privilege it is an extremely precious thing that we could handle the Word of God. We would be here. And Lord, the, the longing of our hearts is that as we get into it, we study, we look at it, you would speak to us. The Spirit of God would be here in our midst. We thank you that he is here. There's a promise, an absolute promise, that wherever two or more are gathered together to your name, there you will be. And we're going to trust and believe that tonight. So, Lord, again, you know where we are. You know our needs, our problems, our cares, our issues. You know everything about us. And our desire, Lord, is to press on with you, to hold fast that hope till the end, till that day when you come again and set up your kingdom on this earth, an eternal kingdom that will not end. We long for that day, Lord. So please work among us, every brother, every sister. Touch every one of us, please, in a way that will change us forever to your glory and to others' good. Amen. Okay. So I thank Paul, and I wasn't here last week, out of town. Nice little vacation. Um, Paul went over, I think, just a few verses in chapter 6. And uh, that's good. Sometimes we need to slow down. We've been finding that out in Hebrews here. Mm, Got to slow it down. We, we covered something, and we just didn't feel comfortable enough to move on to the next item. Okay, so there is this need of diligence, of earnestness, focused on the full assurance of hope. And we hold it till the end. That's what he's exhorting. Again, the, the section preceding this was about the immaturity of these Hebrew Christians. And I hope we're all convinced these are our dear brothers and sisters in Christ. They are struggling with some issues. In their case, 
extreme temptation to go back to what they came out from, Judaism. And uh, persecuted, uh, there's a, we're going to see some verses here coming up, and had loss, had been plundered of their, of their possessions several times, all kinds of things. And, the, and this, the author was urging them to go on to maturity, full growth, perfection, not perfection in the sense of sinless perfection, but full growth, a mature person, somebody that really knew Christ. And there's that exhortation to move on from that, okay? But I will tell you this, okay? So there's no doubt, and this is one of the mysteries that we all face, I think. If you haven't faced it, well, I'm going to challenge you with it tonight. There's this intersect between our responsibility, our accountability, and the fact that we will stand before Christ and give an account of the things done. And intersecting with that is this sovereign, almighty, all-powerful God who in grace and mercy reaches us. And we know, even in the case we're going to talk about Abraham tonight, it says the God of glory appeared to Abraham. And what changed that man and I can't tell you how many times in our prayer meetings I've prayed this. We've been praying for somebody, somebody that's maybe a prodigal or some of our, our relatives, our, our brothers and sisters in the flesh, our children, and we're praying. What we pray for is, God, please appear to them. Come to them. They are locked, even like that song we sing occasionally, Charles Wesley's song. And he's got that passage, I just love it. Fast bound in sin and nature's night. I was in a dungeon, it says, and the, and the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. So that supernatural intervention by God, and I don't understand that. I do not understand that. I don't think we're going to be able to reconcile it in this age, most certainly, and I'm not so certain about the next. I don't think we're going to have reconciliation for that. We're just going to be in awe of him knowing that we've been accountable to him, okay? So I'm going to say this. What we're going to talk about tonight is this hope. There's a hope set before us. Brothers and sisters, if we do not have the Holy Spirit of God unveiling that hope to us, I'll tell you this, we have no hope. We have nothing to cling to. We have nothing to lay hold of. There is no anchor within the veil. If we don't see it, I'm not absolving any of us of our need of exercising diligence and, you know, reading our Bible, praying to the utmost, doing all the things we need to do. But if that's all it is and we do not see, we don't have somehow God unveiling our eyes to see these things, we will not hold these things fast till the end. We will not. There are many, of, many brothers and sisters in Christ, we know some, who have walked away from the faith. There are separations, divorces, that, all that kind of stuff going on. You know, even the other day I heard somebody. This morning I was talking with a dear brother, a man in Christ. He's an evangelist, great evangelist, teaches at a Bible college, at a seminary. He's going over to Myanmar to preach the gospel, hopefully to thousands of people in Myanmar having trouble with his wife, and his wife told him this, I love you, but I'm no longer in love with you. <sighs> Breaks my heart. 
Why? Because I don't believe that woman sees that well. Something happened. Something's not there. There's no vision. Without a vision, the people run wild. They perish. So I'm hoping that by God's mercy and grace, I can impart a little bit of a vision tonight and God would open our eyes to see these things that he's laid before us, this hope. And that's the anchor, okay? And listen to this. In these verses, we're going to see it more and more. We're going to go through it in these coming days. But this vision, this hope is totally wrapped up with the covenant promises made to Abraham. I cannot stress that enough. If we do not understand what was given to Abraham and how we are included in that, how we enter into participation with that, we don't know what we're, we don't know what this is all about. This is not just a rescue mission for a bunch of sinners. It is that. But that rescue for a bunch of sinners is to fulfill the promises that God made to that man Abraham. Are you with me on that? Those covenant promises were made. They started in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And then they got amplified. And they got amplified throughout 55 years of Abraham's life. 55 years. We're gonna, what we're going to see, we're going to be looking at some quotes here in chapter 6 that occurred when he was about to offer his son Isaac. That was 55 years after Genesis 12 when God first made those promises to Abraham. We need some endurance, I think. Patience. We'll, we'll read that verse again. It was reconfirmed, reaffirmed in Genesis 13, in Genesis 15. In fact, in Genesis 15 and verse 18, the promises, God, if you will, put them in the form of a covenant for the first time. That's when the first time is used with regard to the promises made to Abraham. They were put into covenant form. God made a covenant with man. And I'll tell you what, that's an amazing thing, that God covenants with men. You know, the Bible is full of covenants including this last one just made, okay? Also, there's only two covenants in the Bible where God, and God doesn't do this very often, God swore with an oath. That's powerful. He did that with Abraham in chapter 22 of Genesis. He did that with David, a man called David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He swore by an oath. Those two covenants are the covenant that was reaffirmed, strengthened, added to, and became the eternal covenant that we're going to talk about in these next four chapters in Hebrews. That new covenant. And that word there, new, doesn't mean absolutely brand new. It means a renewed, re-strengthened covenant. The author, Paul did it too. He says, you guys are so hung up with the old covenant made at Sinai, but you don't realize that that was a temporary covenant and really what God intended to do with the whole human race was established 
through a man called Abraham and his heirs, his seed. And Paul did a great job in, Gen in Galatians talking about that, the seed, singular, he noted that from Genesis, and that seed is Christ. And so it's only by virtue of our association with that seed we have anything to do with those promises which have to go into the ages of the ages. They're eternal, eternal. Now, let's go to Genesis. Oh, I sh should say, mentioned again here, not only was this covenant, the promises brought out in chapter 12 of Genesis, they were reaffirmed in 13, made a covenant in 15, reaffirmed in 17, 18, 21, and now we're in 22. So go to Genesis 22. And you can spend more time, I hope you, that you would. You know, I'm kind of like this. I, what I like to do here when I'm up here is I give, I give homework assignments. So go read Genesis 22 when you got some time. Okay, so we're going to look at these, these verses 15 through 18. Starting with verse 15, And the angel of Jehovah called to Abraham a second time from the heavens. And he said, By myself I have sworn, declares Jehovah, Lord God, Yahweh, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and greatly multiply your, your seed like the stars of the heavens and like the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So here he's confirming that covenant with an oath. And we're going to get into that. So let's go back now. We've read that. Go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 6 here. And let's kind of walk through these verses and hit the highlights and raise a few issues and stir things up. That's what I like to do. Verse 13 says, For God, when he made the promise to Abraham, okay, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. The, norma, the normative for when you make an oath is that you swear by someone greater. And what you're doing is you're asking for a witness and you're also saying, if I don't fulfill my oath, then you get me. You, you deal with me. So you swear by someone greater, someone, somebody that can do something if you didn't fulfill your oath. But God had no one greater to swear by. So it says this. He says, I, I, I'm going to swear he swore by himself. And what he said was, here's what he swore to do. Verse 14, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. Verse 16. And I want to note something here. Let's see, verse 15. And thus, when Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now, this is, this is one of those verses, very interesting. I'd like you to go to chapter 11 and look at another verse that seems to contradict this. And this is what we have to wrestle with often in the Scripture. So go to chapter 11, verse 13. 
says this. says, all these died in faith, not receiving the promises, but seeing them from afar and joyfully greeting them and confessing that they were strangers and sojourners on the earth. So it says there in chapter 13, they saw the promises from afar and did not receive them. Yet in chapter 6, it says this, Abraham obtained, verse 15, and thus when Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. What I believe this is talking about, you can read something similar in Ephesians chapter, chapter 3, chapter 1, excuse me, okay? How many of you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? If there's any hands that aren't raised, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. Right? We have the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in whom also you also, having heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him also believing you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is the pledge of our inheritance. It said that when uh, in Israel, when you'd buy a piece of land, often you'd buy, buy it sight unseen, but it wouldn't be exactly totally sight unseen because someone would be, bring the dirt, the soil from that piece of land so you could see what it really was like. And on that basis, you would buy the land. The Spirit of God is the pledge that God will be true to his promises, which happens to be the covenant promises that were made to Abraham. So I believe that's what it's talking about here in verse 15, in case you ever had a question. But let's press on. We've got a lot of stuff here to go through tonight. Verse 16. It says, For men swear by the greater, and for all disputes among them an oath is final for confirmation. So that's how men work out their terms these days. Used to be that an oath, usually with a handshake, was good enough. You know what I'm saying? If someone swore by something with an oath, that was pretty strong. And these days, we just don't account of it. You know, recently, I, I got some update from the software on my computer, and I did that. You know, and it says, okay, here's the agreement. And this agreement was 54 pages long. And it says, do I agree? And I do like every one of us. I didn't read that doggone thing. I did not read that. I just pressed the thing and said, agree. That's not very safe. But in today in our world, we live by these huge contracts. And we always hear that thing that says, you better read the fine print. You ever heard that? Read the fine print. With God, you don't have to read. But I would encourage you to read all the print. But he swore with an oath. Men swear by an oath. And they swear by someone greater than them. And the, and the practice has been for thousands of years that all disputes among men are, the oath is final for confirmation. Everybody settles on that. Even we, the other night we were looking at some TV and we're watching it a little bit and there were the Barter Kings. How many have ever seen that show, The Barter Kings? Anybody? Not a single person. Well, Okay. Well, anyway, we were just cruising. We watched it. And every barter that they made, 
they made they said do we have a deal do we have a deal and the guy says yeah we got a deal and they shook hands there was no contract sign and they handed off their thing that they were bartering and took the other thing from the other person i think that's more of the divine method god swears and brothers and sisters we can trust him we're going to see that we can entrust we can trust him implicitly absolutely Listen to this, verse 17. This is great. God does a convincing demonstration to the heirs, okay? Therefore, God, intending to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his counsel, interposed with an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge, to lay hold of the hope set before us. Do you see that tonight? God made these incredible promises to a man named Abraham. He confirmed them again and again. He made them into a covenant, and eventually he swore with an oath he would complete those things. Then he strengthened that through the covenant he made with David, showing that how that, that would be fulfilled, those promises would be fulfilled within the arena of a, of a kingdom with a king. And then when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross and shed blood, and every covenant is confirmed by the shedding of blood, and he reaffirmed, strengthened, and solidified that covenant, that everlasting covenant. The new covenant was, that was a first established with Abraham, solidified with what David did, and ultimately sealed, signed, sealed, and will be delivered through Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that at the end, okay? It says here, verse 17, God intending to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his counsel. You know, often the way sometimes we Christians look at things is that we believe that somehow things have gotten out of hand for God. You understand what I'm saying here? It's like, he really didn't have a full handle on what was going to happen. There are even some uh, current teachings out there called open deism today. And they just think that this is kind of moving and God kind of moves with man. No, I, I will tell you this absolutely. God has not veered from the plan he had before he brought the universe into existence. He has not veered from that plan one bit. We're not on plan B because plan A failed. Plan A did not fail. God intends one plan. It's the unchangeableness of his counsel. And he's making that clear. It's over time. It's taking a long time. He unveils it bit by bit. There's, there's extremely great and wonderful purposes behind how he's doing it. That's his own business. But there's the unchangeableness of his counsel. And that 
Counsel is revealed in those promises made to Abraham, solidified to us in the new covenant. It's pretty amazing. Guys, are you ready? In the next 10 chapters, we're going to spend a whole lot of time on the new covenant, solidified by that with new promises. With, he uses the word better. I can't remember how many times in the book of Hebrews. Better promises, better covenant, better priesthood, better this, better that, better, better, better. This whole deal we've got, and that's what is encouragement here to the, to the Hebrew Christians is this is a much better deal. You're about to go back to something that has no, it's not unchangeable. It's a temporary thing. And what we're dealing with, what we have in Christ is unchangeable, it's eternal, and will last unto the ages of the ages. And I, we really have to see it. You know, here's a little clue, too. And, and, and this is just, a, again, a, a homework assignment for you all, okay? There's these two covenants, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Can anybody quote to me the very opening verse of the New Testament? Anybody? Anybody know? Kevin, I know you memorize a lot. You got, you got Matthew 1, 1 down? This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's about to renew that eternal covenant. Think about that. Think about that. Okay. So look at verses we're going to spend now here, 18, 19, and 20. So back to 17. Therefore God intending to show more abundantly a demonstration to the heirs of the promise. I believe that was both Abraham and Isaac. They were the only attendees at that situation where Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. God intervened and reconfirmed the covenant and swore, with, swore it with an oath. Abundantly, he's, he's going to show abundantly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his counsel. He interposed with an oath. Why? In order that by two unchangeable things. So he has an unchangeable counsel with two unchangeable things that support that counsel. Okay? in which is it impossible for God to lie. So there's the promises. The unchangeable thing is God promises. He keeps his promise. God keeps his promises. And secondly, he swears it with an oath that he'll keep them. Those are two unchangeable things. Okay? He does this in order that we may have the strong encouragement who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Now, I just want to read a list. What is this hope about? I, I like to pose questions because it makes us think. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very interesting thing how God has designed us. So when someone says, what is the hope? It says, Becky, what's the hope? You, you have to stop and go, oh, I don't know. You have to react. There's something there with a question. So I hope every one of you is asking yourself, what is this hope? What is the hope 
that is set before us that we should lay hold of that should be acting like an anchor within the veil. That's what we're talking about. And we're seeing what we're seeing with our dear brothers and sisters that are going off because they don't have an anchor within the veil and they, because they don't see the hope of what it is and what constitutes it. And what the fact is that God is guaranteeing that hope with promises and with an oath. So here's the hope. I just went back through the book, Hebrews. Listen to this. We're heirs with the heir of the, of the world. We are partners with the heir. That's in chapter 1. We are about to inherit salvation. That's in chapter 1, verse 14. That is called so great a salvation in chapter 2, verse 3. In chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we are many sons brought to glory. God, what is God doing? What is this all about? What is the end product? I'll tell you what, if we don't see the end, we don't hold on to the end. <laughs> you, see, you understand what I'm saying there? If we don't see the end, we won't hold on to the end until the end. We have to see the end. The end is God's bringing many sons to glory. How many would like to be brought to glory? Please raise your hand. Say hallelujah. Okay, let's get a little more energy there. We're partakers of a heavenly calling. Its source is in not from the earth, not from men. It's from God in the heavens. We're being brought into a Sabbath rest. We're in rest right now. We can understand that rest, but there's a rest, a full rest to come. I think many of us are looking forward to that. We're being saved. I like this one. Chapter 7, verse 25, we haven't gotten there yet. Listen, we're being saved to the uttermost. Barbara, would you like to be saved to the uttermost? I mean, who, who here, raise your hand, wouldn't like to be saved to the uttermost? See, I didn't see a hand come up. Every one of us were looking to be saved to the uttermost. Okay? There's the gaining of the soul. The Lord talks a lot about this in the Gospels. It says, whosoever shall lose his soul will gain it. Huh. I think he's talking about the same thing. He says that we're not of those that shrink back, but we are those that press forward to the gaining of our soul. I could... Come see me later. I'll talk more about that one. There is, the, there is that we are looking for our own country. You know, I think every one of us in the room here is thankful that we are citizens of the United States. Can I hear an amen? amen. But you know what, brothers and sisters? This is not our own country. We have a heavenly citizenship. And I believe in the next years to come, I do not know how long. I'm not a prophet. I haven't seen that. But in the years to come, this world will challenge our citizenship here and will press it, and it will be at odds with the heavenly citizenship. That's what's happening right now. That's happening today. If you're not pressed by what our country is doing, well... I think you need a heavenly citizenship or you need to renew it or something. A better resurrection. 
in chapter 11, it says, we're looking for a better resurrection. There's something, and again, there's a, a fair amount of debate on this. It's called the first resurrection. Paul uses a very interesting term in Philippians. It's not just the word resurrection. It says, I want to attain unto the out-resurrection from among the dead. He amplifies it. I don't, we can debate, we can talk all about that, but it's amplified. Whatever it is, and I believe you could put the word in there. It's kind of like, uh, I know, Kevin does this quite well. He, what's the one, one, one of your latest words you've said where it's stronghold. It's, what is it? It's a stronghold. I think it's an outstanding resurrection that we're looking for. There's an unshakable kingdom. How many of you, in some way, morally, justice-wise, had some shaking today? Go on. How many, how many had some shaking? There were some things. A little bit of shakiness in this. How, many, how about your savings account? How's it doing? How about you? Okay, good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Mine's doing fine, too, even though it's going down. It's doing fine. It's doing fine. There's more shaking coming. We are looking for an unshakable kingdom, and our hope is that. My hope is that someday everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and what will remain is an unshakable kingdom. We're looking for a city to come. That's mentioned at least three times, twice in uh, chapter 11 and once in 13. We fled for refuge, the verse, end of verse 18. We fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. That's what Hebrews is doing. The whole book of Hebrews is setting in front of these believers, it's setting in front of us, what is that hope? that we need to lay hold of it. Set before us, we need to lay hold of it. And what happens, which we have as an anchor, that hope, when we lay hold of it, becomes an anchor. And I'm afraid that there are so many dear brothers and sisters who are going to be going through a very tough time, especially in the United States, with what I'll call U.S. Christianity, that are going to be put aside, laid aside, drift past. They're going to... They're going to lose bearing because they don't have an understanding, a vision of the hope, and that hope is what gives us an anchor within the veil. And then here's the critical point, and I'll end here. It's a wonderful thing to have this hope set before us. It's a wonderful thing that this hope is made up of promises and God can't lie about those. He swore with an oath he will do that. The question is, a critical question is, how? And I think we're about to get the answer. I know a bunch of you have been asking the question. And we have the Q&A. We're going to have it here in a minute. Can you, can, you, uh, can you tell me a little bit about this Melchizedek guy? How many of you asked that question? Let me see your hands. A lot of hands tonight. Okay, somebody. God secures. God gains. God establishes. God gets. God makes to happen by the work of the Son. And it's not just the work. It is the work. It includes the human living, 
the death on the cross and resurrection. But in this book, the author does not focus on those things. He mentions them, he, com he refers to them, but that is, is not, that's not his focus. His focus is on an ascended, exalted God-man, now at the throne of God, whoever lives to intercede for us. And that work that he has as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek is what g will get you and I through this whole thing. And again, I come back to, and I, and I do, I exhort you, be diligent, be working as hard as you can. But if you're depending on that to get you to that hope, that is a bad dependency. Let me tell you what will get us all there. That son who is right now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, whoever lives to intercede for us. And if we can see that and it can grip our heart and we see that, it will make a big difference in our life and we will have an anchor secured within the veil. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes our, uh, our understanding, especially of who you are, what you have accomplished and what you are still doing, falls short. It does. I know it does with me. And all of a sudden, my eyes get on myself, and I look at my failures, or I look at somebody else, and I look at this world, and there's so many other things that can turn my eyes upon. But Lord, I pray that you would give each and every one of us here a secure, clear vision of where you are, who you are, what you've done. You're the heir of all things. You uphold all things by the word of your power. And now as a man, you are exalted to the very right hand of God. So, Lord, give us that understanding. Grip us in our hearts and our minds. And, Lord, help us to establish that hope as an anchor within the veil. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.